I want to get into the message this morning and uh, begin to tell you a little bit about this worship series that we're in, uh, which we call Extravagant. Um, If you're taking notes this morning and if you want to turn in your Bible, we'll be at a couple different places, but eventually what we'll land at is Luke chapter 7. We're going to read a very interesting story that Jesus shares, but it's a real life story, something that really happened with Jesus. And we're going to look at somebody who was an extravagant worshiper. Um, I don't know if you remember these days being back in school when you had to do like a book report, uh, but I remember those days very well. And some of the details in the book report always ask for who, what, where, when, why, how, right? And you had to make sure that you had all those points. So oftentimes what I do when I come into a a series like this is I want to provide you some of those things at the outset to help you. So today we're going to look at that. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of a caveat. Oftentimes um, I say I am not preaching about a current situation or problem in the church. I want to be really clear when I say something about gossip and I tell you we have got to stand against gossip. It's not because your pastor heard that so-and-so is gossiping about somebody. I don't stand up on a soapbox and try to hammer you from the pulpit. That's unhealthy for a church. It's unhealthy for an organization. I've been in organizations where one or five people do something wrong, and then they've got a giant meeting to yell at everybody to make sure. That's That's not what I do here. That's not what we do here. So if you hear me talking about tithing, it's not because I found out one of you is not tithing. It's because I think it's a biblical principle. I know it's a biblical principle that we all need to be reminded of. So I want you to have that confidence in all of the times that I speak and share with you. But there are some moments also where a pastor needs to handle something that he believes really is an issue that could be encouraged and built up and people can grow in. And that is this moment. So it's not a singling out. It's not a passive aggressive, like, well, Mandy did this. So I'm going to preach this message. So she hears all these words. It's not that that's, that's never our approach right now. I'm being very clear with you. I want to be direct with you throughout this message series, because I want you to know that I truly believe one of the aspects that we are missing as a church is biblical worship. Worship according to what the biblical examples are. And so my goal is always to educate you, but to also encourage good behavior and then correct some bad behavior and to see each one of us grow spiritually. That's really what this is all about. Um, I really feel like when it comes to biblical worship, uh, we don't really look at what worship is in the Bible or what people did as acts of worship in the Bible as much as we just show up and do our thing that we're comfortable with and then we go home. Now, I also say, and I have to say this because I've read some minds this week in preparation. I am also not trying to do this message series so that we get more of an emotional response from our people. You might be the person who just clearly isn't the person who, you know, chooses to raise their hands in every service, at every song, at every moment. And I'm not trying to pry that out of you, but I do want to expose you to some truth in God's word that you might not know is there. 
about how we really should be worshiping. I think it'll improve your daily life of worship with God. And I think collectively together, we can find that place where we enjoy worshiping God together. So remember, for behavior to change, the heart that produces that behavior has to change first. That's really what's most important. Uh, You can change rules for kids, but if you don't tell them the why behind it, then they're going to continue to fall into that pattern of what they used to do. So you've got to kind of come from that angle. And I really believe even a pastor uh, and been in ministry for 20 years, I really believe there are things that I am learning right now in trying to to digest God's word about worship that I am learning for myself that I want you to enjoy and to, to get to know. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do this uh, little reverse order of service, um, but then we'll be back to our normal sort of place. I want to tackle those six questions today to help us get thinking in the right direction. And the first one is this. The question is, what is worship? So if I pulled you today, pulled the audience and asked you to give me an answer as to what that is, I would probably get several different things. But I want to give you a definition uh, that, uh, that I came up with based on some material that I've been reading through. And it is this. It's the act of praising, celebrating, honoring, and adoring, and reverencing God. That's what worship truly is. And I think what I'll do is I'll say that again, but I think what we ended up doing years ago is we ended up kind of diverging and saying, well, worship with your giving. You can can write a check and that's worship. Yes, but what I'm talking about is the collective time that we share in music and singing to the Lord, singing about him. It's something that moves and can move our spirit. I've been down in my life, in moments of my life, and I've pressed through in worship, and I've felt myself lifted. Like, it's supernatural. It's when I put my focus on him, and when I'm thinking about all he's done before, then my heart like builds confidence of, God can do it again. Will he do it? Yes, he will. And so... It's a, it's a thing that's mutually beneficial. God deserves it, and he, he didn't earn it. He just he deserves it, right, uh, because of who he is and what he's done for us. But there are times in our life, and actually, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but it's in the moment that you feel less like you want to worship that you should worship the most. I know that's not perfectly worded and somebody else could come up with a better way to say it, but in the moment of your life where you feel like worshiping the least, that's when you should push through and probably worship the most because putting your eyes on the right thing is important. So what is worship? It's the act of praising, celebrating, honoring, adoring, and reverencing God. Worship really is a celebration of the worthiness of God. That's, that's the thing that we're doing. We're giving him worship that's due his name because we consider him worthy of it because we know that he's worthy of it and his character has proved it and so have his actions. So let me tell you about the first place in scripture that the word worship shows up. It's in Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. 
You might be familiar with this story, or you might uh, it might sound familiar to you, but let's read it uh, on the screen. It says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, the boy he's referencing is Isaac, his son, will go over there and worship and come again to you. So he loads up animals. He takes his son. God has given him this instruction to go and worship him. He goes there, and the intention is for Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. If you've ever read the story or heard it in Sunday school years ago, so he has servants with him, and he says, you guys, all of you stay here, just me and my son, we're going to go up and meet with God. And he says, and come again to you. I love it. I'm telling you there's faith. There's a good message there that Abraham was in, in this moment, he was going to worship God and, um, Isaac, (laughs) I I feel like if I was Isaac, I'd be like, um, so dad, like the fire, the wood, like, Hey, what's going on? Where's the sacrifice? Um, God will provide Isaac. (laughs) Okay. The last occurrence is this. Okay. So that's the first. And I know we think about like the offering of Cain and Abel and things like that, that happened earlier than this moment, but really the first word worship that shows up English translation for us is Genesis 22. The last one is in revelation 22. The last occurrence of the word worship, which happens all throughout scripture, then shows up the last time in the new Testament. And it shows up here. And here's what it says about us being together with God and his family forever. Listen to what it says. It says no longer will there be anything accursed. We could just take the a off and just say cursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. Talking about the city that we'll be in. And his servants will worship him. There are two things that you're going to do in heaven that you do here on earth. And so you need the practice. One is, one is worship. And the other is giving. I don't know if you realize that, but we're, those are the two things that are eternal. That we actually do here on earth that we will do in heaven. So worship appears in this moment, literally the last chapter of the Bible, telling us what the heaven is going to be like and what it's going to be. It, it goes on to say there will be no need for, uh, you know, for a son because his radiance will be the light by which we see. It's amazing to think about what our heavenly home is going to be like. And it says we're going to do this. We're going to be worshiping him. So this is important for us to understand. Second question is this. Where? Can I worship or where should I worship? The answer is simple. (laughs) Anywhere. And I want to expound on that a little bit, but it's really that simple anywhere. Worship has no geographical boundaries. I literally have been in a village in Mexico and been able to worship the Lord. And I got on two planes to get there. We, my wife and I went to a church service on our honeymoon um, in Italy we met with some missionaries. We went to a church service. They worshiped. It was so incredible. They had um, some, I believe they were Nigerian uh, immigrants that were there in Italy. They worshiped in their own language and led the entire church in their language in, in one song of worship. Then another group got up and sang in a different language. It was beautiful to hear all of the people worshiping. But we've I've worshiped in all kinds of places. I've worshiped in 
And we can look in the Bible and you can see people worshipped in fields. They worshipped in mountains, on mountains, in tents, in buildings, uh, on a beach. There's worship that happens in the Bible on a beach. Praise God. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Um, Okay, that was the good part. The bad part is somebody worshipped in a cave. They were hiding out for their running for their life. And they worshipped God still in the midst of that circumstance. They worshipped in the heart of a city. They've worshipped with others and they've worshipped God alone in solitude. All throughout scripture. So taking those things, because you might not have a field or a mountaintop. There's no mountains here in Mississippi. Okay, She's she's got one, a small mountain uh, that she can go to. um, And maybe we'll all get invited to. But here's the deal. In today's modern language, you need to understand this. You can worship in your car on the way to work. You really can. You can worship in church together with the family of God like we just did a moment ago and we're going to do for a few minutes before we close the service. But the truth of the matter is this. We should worship more than we do. Because our heart needs it, but because God deserves it. Truly, he really, really does. So I want you to think about that in just in the answers of these questions as we go through. When should I worship? So if I can worship anywhere, the next question is, when should I worship? And the simple answer is, always. As I was developing the message, I almost had the answer of any time. Because when, you know, it it works with any time. But then any time sounds like a choice that I can choose that I might not choose. So I came up with this thought, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit helped me with it, that when should I worship? The answer is always. In fact, you can read the writings of Paul in the New Testament when he says you should pray always. And you say, i got to have conversations on the phone with people at my job. I've got to talk to my wife. That doesn't involve prayer. <laughs> Maybe you need prayer before you talk to your wife. Okay, but here's the idea. The idea is when should I worship? I should worship always and in all things. In the highs and lows of life. You need to understand this for this series. That worship is not an emotion. It is a choice. It's a choice of the will. And so again, I'm telling you, I'm not... My hope is not that in this very next moment when we go into worship again, that everyone just... Yes, Lord! And and screams and shouts and does something superficial. But what I am telling you is I think we ought to worship more and better than we do. Because he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy. So you can look at evidence in the Bible of people who chose to worship through their life's valleys. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament worshipped in prison. And God showed up. You can see where people worshiped God because of the mountaintop that they were on. Here's how I worded it, and it might be better than what I said earlier. When we find it most difficult to worship is the moment we should press on or push through and worship even more. When we find it the hardest, because it is a choice. It is not an emotion. If you wait to feel it, (laughs) you might not ever feel like it. How many of you are married? Okay, there's a good handful of us. There are probably days 
where you didn't feel like loving in a practical way the spouse that God gave you. <laughs> no, girl, don't do that. <laughs> and, okay, you just say, she's just shouting with me. Okay, I got you. I'm saying the same thing. We can all say the same thing because we... <laughs> oh, laughter is a good medicine, right? Amen. So here's the idea is this. If we waited to feel it and we didn't just choose it all the time, we would choose it a whole lot less because waiting to feel it you got to wait for every for the stars to align and the the candles to be lit on the dinner table and the perfect meal and all that stuff. And y'all know life is not like that. If you've been married for more than a day, you know life is not like that. So the idea is this, it's a choice. I choose to love my spouse. You should choose to love your spouse. Um, we should choose to worship God. It's not, so here's, here's the deal. We don't worship circumstantially based on my circumstance. I worship because I am a, an agent who has a free will and I choose to worship God. This is so important for us to grasp. So you can worship God whether you got fired or you just got hired, right? Whether you're broke or whether you're rich, whether whatever it is, regardless of what life throws at you, if you're going through a tough season, if you feel like you're standing on a mountaintop, in all of those moments, choosing to worship, not only does God deserve it, but you yourself, there is a true benefit to you and I when we choose to focus on him rather than us. And that's so good and helpful for us. So who should I worship is the next uh, thing. And obviously you're in a Christian church in a setting where we're going to talk about who should we worship the only true living God. Your heart was designed and built to worship something or someone. And a lot of people try to fill that void. Going back to my days in missions work where I did some short-term missions work, with teenagers, they did some street skits and things like that for people to music. So even though it, there's a different, there's a language barrier that people could see through dramatic uh, presentation, the gospel. And there's a, this famous one that was done and probably is still done around the world. And that is a cardboard, big piece of cardboard with a heart painted on it and a hole cut in the center of the heart. And the, the drunk in the drama comes and tries to put his bottle in the hole and it just won't stay there and it falls and crashes on the ground. And then the next person comes and tries to put money in it to seal the hole and it doesn't work. And you get through all of these other things and then you realize there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human. And we, we have this desire to worship, but we don't often choose the right person to worship or the right thing. And so we, we need to think about it like this. Exodus chapter 20 says something for us. It says something for them back then. This is the beginning of the 10 commandments, but it has something for us today. It says in verse one, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That right there is so important for us to understand. God has always been about getting his people free. He's always been about freedom. 
And he, he, he wants no chains on you. He just wants the love attachment that you have for him. So it says there, out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, verse 3, you shall have no other gods, and I'm going to change that word, but me. Nothing else should be worshipped in your life. Not money, not fame, not career, not persons, uh, not, not things or possessions. No other gods but him. So I want to answer the next two questions by looking at the story in Luke chapter 7. And those questions are this. Why should I worship and how should I worship? One of the best things, actually, because I told you I started a new job this week, I actually had to apologize this week twice. And I apologize to the coach who's mentoring me in, in my new job as a manager because I misunderstood something. I heard it a different way. And I, I then just, I had to make it right because it was still something in, in my mind. Five minutes later, we resolved the issue and no big deal. And you know, it's n- not anything to worry about, but I had to go back to him and I had to say, listen, I'm sorry. I wasn't I wasn't listening to you with like all of my ability and I misunderstood and that's on me. I tell you, that's a humbling thing to do, <laughs> to apologize and to say, Hey, are we good? Will you forgive me? In the next few moments after we're done reading through this passage, that might be the approach you should take. I, I don't know. Each one of you is individually different than the other, but chances are maybe you've thought that worship really is only on a Sunday morning when you get dressed and you come to church. And maybe it could be a moment for you when the lights go down and we go into a few songs of worship for you to whisper a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry I haven't worshiped you always. Lord, I'm, I'm really sorry. I've been struggling recently and I haven't chosen to worship. Will you forgive me for that? I am telling you that God says in his word that we should worship him and him alone. So if we've worshiped other things, we ought to say, God, help me to choose to worship you. So let me tell you why and how. Look at verse 36. It says this, one of the Pharisees, that's a religious leader in those days, asked him to eat with him, talking about Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. Stop there for a second. Their custom back then and still today, if you're an Orthodox Jew in a synagogue, you go to synagogue and then you do what we do a lot of times after church on Sunday is who wants to go to lunch? We're going to the buffet, going to the Mexican. They were going for a meal after a service and Jesus gets invited by one of the religious leaders to go to this guy's house and to sit at his table. Look at what verse 37 says. The story begins to kind of unravel or unfold here. It says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought in an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, she wouldn't have been necessarily an invited guest to the religious leader's house. And when the Bible says they're a woman of the city, there's a couple different scholarly opinions. But essentially, she was a woman who had committed sin and everybody knew about it. She could have been an adulteress, but she also could have been a prostitute. The Bible says there she was a sinner very clearly. And she heard that Jesus went to so-and-so's house. And so she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Look at what it says. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. They didn't sit in chairs with backs like you're sitting in. They kind of, what we say in the scripture, they reclined at the table. They had these long kind of like chase lounges where they'd sit like this and they would eat and they would talk. So she's standing behind him and she, be, she comes in uninvited and begins to be emotionally overwhelmed at the thought that he's there and, and she wants to be where he is. And her soul is just turning. She begins to weep and her tears are dropping onto his feet. It says there, she began to wet his, his feet with her tears. Now, sometimes in scripture you can read hyperbole and you can, it's very clearly understood. And hyperbole would be like, you know, talking bigger, or maybe not exaggerating, but making it, making the point. Here's the deal of what I'm saying here. When I look in the original language and I studied this, it means that she was crying so profusely that tears just began to soak his feet. This is an emotional moment for, for her. And I think she's probably caught a little bit off guard at how much emotion is being poured out. Verse 39, it says this. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, Look at what it says. He said to himself, that means he thought this in his mind. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. Or she's a sinner. It says there in verse 40, Jesus answered him out loud and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Verse 41. So he tells this story and he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. Two people owed him money. One owed 500 denarii, which was worth a day's wage, the single denarii. So 500 days worth, okay? And the other owed him 50. Verse 42. When they, neither of them, I want you to understand this, neither of them could pay. He canceled the debt of both of them. And then Jesus asked this question. Now, which of them will love him more. So Simon answers, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, said to him, you have judged rightly. Can we have the lights come down as I finish out this passage of scripture? I want your heart to start to focus on that idea of worshiping him. Then turning to the woman he said to Simon, so I just understand what's happening in the room during this. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Remember back then they didn't have shoes like we do today. They were crude looking sandals and you walked in the streets and everything was dirty. It wasn't paved. There were animal feces, probably human feces. There was all sorts of trash and things. There wasn't garbage trucks to pick up everything. So you've got to understand, if you got invited to somebody's house, when you walked in, there'd be a servant who washed the feet of the individuals who were the invited guests. So Jesus turns to Simon and he says, you see this woman, I entered your house and you didn't even give me water for my feet. Now understand this. Jesus does not have a bad attitude. Jesus is not, oh, how dare you? I came here and you didn't. That's not his approach. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair. In the Near East, the customary greeting, and actually in the Northeast, the customary greeting in all the churches that I've ever been in growing up was a kiss. It was a, hey, how are you? It was a customary thing. And back then, if you came as an invited guest, when they welcomed you, you received a kiss at the door. Not weird and on the lips and that kind of stuff. Just a general, like, warm embrace with a kiss on the cheek of, hey. And most of the time, it's like in the air. You don't really touch. Okay, I'm moving on. Okay, but here's the idea. You didn't give me a kiss when I came to your house. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now, if you're still thinking in the right context, his feet are dirty and the only thing that have cleaned them are her own tears. In those days, they would actually bow down and kiss the feet of royalty. I know today we do the thing with the ring or you know, you read that in stories, but back in those times, they would have humbled themselves to the lowest point to kiss the foot or the feet of the person who was there before them. Verse 47, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who's given or forgiven little loves little. Remember both debtors had their debts forgiven, but one became an extravagant worshiper because he was forgiven a massive amount. And Jesus is telling Simon, and there are eight Simons listed in the New Testament, so it's not Simon, his disciple, and that kind of thing. It's just a man named Simon who was a Pharisee. But he's telling Simon in this moment, this woman has been forgiven so much, she just can't control herself right now. He said to her, then he turns to the woman, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Powerful moment. The king of all kings, the king of the universe, not just, and I, we don't connect the dots sometimes when we say, I asked the Lord to come into my heart and into my life. I became a Christian. The living savior, son of God, looked eyeball to eyeball to this woman and said, I want you to have confidence. Your sins are gone. Your debt's been washed away. What a moment. And then she's just overcome even more. You say, Pastor, you're acting weird. You got tears in your eyes and you're talking emotionally. It's because this grips my heart because I need to be reminded of how much God has forgiven me. And you do too. And you, you might look a little different if you did that. You might worship a little bit more seriously. And I don't mean stoically. I mean, with abandon, with God, you've done so much in my life and in my heart. So Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were with him at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, I think in that moment, she was probably even embarrassed at the amount of love she was pouring out because she knew who he was and knew what power he had. And she gave all that she could. And the Bible tells us about that alabaster jar. 
that would have been a perfume that she used in her occupation. She gave it up that day. This is powerful if you read between the lines and understand what's happening. She gave it all to him. We've talked about the answers to the questions of when, why, how, and all of that stuff. I tried to preach short. It's only 11.15. Tried to get the message to you quickly in really simple terms so that we could dwell on this for a moment. You say, Pastor, I'm not the emotional extrovert that you are. I can't cry at the drop of a hat. I don't usually dry at that, cry at the drop of a hat. But I'm just so caught by the fact that God loves me, that he chose me, <laughs> that he gave me gifts like my wife and my kids, that he's been with me through every step of my journey. As corny as it is, that little poem about footprints in the sand You know, there are times when I've been angry at God. Where have you been? He's been with me this whole time. So, Lord, our desire today is to worship you. Your word says to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray today that you would help us to tap into our our human emotion and to use that for your glory to truly speak of the wonders of what you've done, to be reminded of all of your goodness towards us. And Lord, how we don't deserve it, but you chose us anyway. Lord, today in this moment, help us be like that woman who's just so caught up that she just wants to show how much she loves you. Lord, help us to worship as we sing songs and lift our voice, maybe whisper a prayer of repentance to you. Help us today to worship like we ought to, and be extravagant worshipers in Jesus' name.